You're listening to The Preppy Podcast, and I'm your host, Patricia May Olson. I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Each Tuesday, I'll bring you a new episode, but if you're craving more preppy, then shop the merch and listen to past episodes at thepreppypodcast.com, and be sure to follow at The Preppy Podcast and me, Patricia underscore May underscore Olson on Instagram. Hello and welcome back to the Preppy Podcast. Today I am excited to share this interview with you. I have grown up writing thank you notes and having a love for beautiful stationery and paper goods. So it's really exciting to have Emily of Busy Be Well as a guest today. What's even more exciting is she is our first international guest. She is coming to us from across the pond, uh, which is something super exciting, like a milestone for the Preppy Podcast and myself. So I hope you really enjoy this special episode. And just a reminder that you can shop the Preppy Podcast merch at thepreppypodcast.com. You can go back and listen to old episodes and find everything you need there as well. Um, And as always, I love if you can share the love. So if you like the podcast, if you like this episode, send it to a friend, um, shoot them over a link via text or email, or maybe share it on your Instagram stories. Just help us spread the word uh, so that I can keep coming out with new episodes each week. All right, let's get into this week's episode. All right. So why don't you let everyone know who you are, where you live, and what you do? My name is Emily Claire Clark, and I have a handmade stationery business in London, England called Busy Be Well. And I am so excited to have you on the podcast. You are our first um, podcast guest across the pond, so to speak. So this is definitely a first and a thrill for sure. Oh my goodness. Well, what I can say is that England is such a welcoming place, actually the entirety of the United Kingdom. And so many, you know, Americans, especially those of us who are pre-revolutionary movers to the colonies, let's say, are, you know, of Anglo-Saxon descent. But even if you're not, it is a wonderful, wonderful place to visit. And uh, it's not quite as rainy as you as it expect, but it is very clean, very polite, and uh, an easy direct flight from most places. So please, please come to visit. Yes, for sure. I definitely, it's on my list to get back there again soon. Um, It's been a few years. So, but I would love to hear more about you. So tell me before we dive into your business, sort of about you as a child, what was little Emily like? Were you creative? Were you entrepreneurial? Tell me about growing up. Growing up for me was uh, was interesting because I was born in North Carolina, and even though I only lived there for the first 12 weeks of my life, because my mom is a Carolina girl, I really and truly was raised all around the world with Southern values and beliefs and manners, which is definitely why as a child, I might have resisted the, you must put pen to paper to thank everyone for invitations, for gifts, for any sort of event or experience that they have gifted to you or shared with you. But now I'm, I'm so grateful that that was instilled in me from birth, essentially, because, 
you know, we live in this ever-growing digital age where things disappear or when people, you know, look at their screens nonstop and they type, they communicate almost without thinking. Uh, tone is lost uh, for sure. The, the not only tone of voice, but the touch is lost as well, right? So if you attended an event or if, you know, a, as a child, I received a gift, I wrote a, a thank you note, and that was something tangible that my grandmother far away could hold on to, almost as a stand-in for me, the sender, because there wasn't, you know, FaceTime or maybe flights were not as readily available or we couldn't travel constantly. So I, I was very grateful for that. So I think I was definitely traditional, especially when at 12 years old, we moved to New York where I spent the, the rest of my childhood. I always said, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And that was not necessarily the norm. Everyone was a bit more cosmopolitan, a tiny bit edgier. So I, there were a few years where I definitely stuck out. I'm not quite sure I was creative. I'm a bit of a rubbish artist, if you must know, and um, not necessarily musically inclined, but I love learning and I so appreciate people who have an innate ability to make everything around them beautiful. I remember when I was 10 years old, I saw a Marc Chagall exhibit poster. It must have been on a street lamp or some sort of, I don't know, billboard, oddly. And I just implored my father to take me. And I really understood the way he was processing what was happening to him, not just on a personal level, but on a geopolitical level and how it was his reflection of the times. So from a young age, whilst not artistically inclined, I did appreciate, you know, artistic interpretations of the world and how they were able to capture history, which is why I went on to major in art history. And I, I think everything is sort of connected, you know, looking back, it's a lot easier to see. So to answer your question, I was definitely traditional, very organized, and just loved learning a little bit about everything. I love that. And I love that you pointed out um, the importance of writing a thank you note, because I was taught the same thing growing up to write thank you notes for your experiences, for your gifts. And I still try to stay on top of my thank you notes today. Even something really important in PR, I think, is writing a thank you note for all of the features that editors or writers do um, of my clients. We try to write a physical thank you note for each of those too. I think it goes a long way and it's a personal touch. And like you said, it's something you can feel and see. Um, and my husband, it's so funny, he is very sentimental and he keeps all of the thank you notes and um, invites and all sorts of things on a board in his office or in like a little box too. So I think there's something to be said about that, holding on to those things. My goodness, I, I so, so, so appreciate him. And of course, I love seeing photos of the two of you on your personal Instagram. So that's Aww. wonderful. I feel as if I know at least a little bit about him or at least all the ways he's able to make you smile consistently, which I appreciate tremendously. My husband, I must say, he is Northern Italian and definitely comes from a traditional family. But I think what happens, or at least something that I've observed, is that, you know, there are certain traditions and values can skip generations. 
So my husband's grandmother was fastidious about doing everything by hand, about cardstock, hand embossing, very, very old school um, aesthetics and values. And my mother-in-law is wonderful. She's such, such an angel. I'm so blessed to have her as a mother-in-law. But I think she's sort of embraced technology as it was coming, you know, about Mm much more so sort of as a reaction. So now I keep my niece and nephews in stationary, so to speak. And I always say to them, this is so important. This is something that lasts. And for them, it's their great grandparents. But whilst they were courting, they were, of course, exchanging love notes and getting to know one another. And um, they're not able to trace their genealogy as definitively as, let's say, Americans have a passion to do so. But they were able to, you know, type all of these love notes and love letters and understand their great grandparents' courtship and the foundation of their relationship. And now all the generations have this in a book. So, you know, I, I don't know if anyone will ever be transcribing or creating a book from telegram messages that, you know, it, it erase after an hour or a WhatsApp thread. But, yeah. as you, you know, said with your husband that he has a board in a box in which he keeps stationary invitations, mm-hmm. notes people have written to him. It's something that's lasting. You're almost creating a, a time capsule for yeah. yourself, for your family. Definitely. I love that point for sure. Now, so tell me a little bit about then um, where you studied art history and kind of anything you think that that major helped you with today in your business. For sure. So I graduated from New York University and with the degree in art history, I focused definitely on the Italian Renaissance which was wonderful, especially as it led me to an Italian husband. <laughs> so that, that was most helpful. Uh, what I can say is that studying art history, whilst it might not have the most practical real world applications, I am an absolute stickler for details. So for example, we recently renovated our home and my contractor joked and said, I don't need to bring a level. I don't need to bring so many tools because you can close one eye and tell me if something is, you know, (laughs) at a perfect 90 degree angle or if any sort of tile or mosaic might. um... So I, I think that there's an attention to detail that you spend four years training your eye to have. But more than that, because there's so much emotion in terms of colors and brushstroke or the mediums in which people were able to capture their feelings or the moments and times, there's a sensitivity to the feelings of others. So one of, one of the things I've done here in England, just to pair with my stationary line, is I became a certified etiquette trainer and oh. everything from youth to women's afternoon teas, the subtle nuances between American and English and European table manners. And all of these things are wonderful to know. But, it, you know, first and foremost, manners are a sensitive awareness to the feeling of others. Mm-hmm. So whether or not you, you know, address or put the date on a card correctly, what's important is that you capture your feelings and the person understands your expression of gratitude, whether for something they gave you or for an opportunity that they connected you with or just, you know, the place they have in your heart. 
I think what's, what's really important is understanding how to do things correctly so that you yourself are confident, but also understanding when and where to relax those rigid protocols and procedures. Mm-hmm. I think that's so cool then that you got certified in etiquette. And I feel like that makes so much sense for your business. And I love, it sounds like you're a lot like me. Like I love continuing to learn and uh, take new classes and, and grow as a person in that way too. Absolutely. I, you know, especially for women, whether we believe we're creative or artistic or whatever, you know, the, the correct term is, or the one that you believe best describes you or doesn't describe you. So much of our passion and enthusiasm for life is being just that perpetual students. There's a phrase here in the United Kingdom that says every day is a school day. And that's exactly it. I I so believe in that. And I understand that you most definitely with all of your new clients in the various, you know, fields they're bringing products or services to every day is definitely a school day. Yes, I love that. I'm going to use that quote again now. <laughs> it's all yours. <laughs> so you tell it. me a little bit after college then, what was your first career? Um, what did you do between college and then starting your own business? Oh my goodness. It has been a broken but blessed path, which I believe would be the most American way to describe it. So my very first job was at David Yurman, so the very American jeweler. And that was wonderful because the most junior person on the retail buying team had to fill in for the executive floor receptionist during the receptionist lunch date. And then of course, if she was out. So I really saw all facets of the business from design to production, to accounts, to uh, even store and shop visits. So that was wonderful. And then I had, um, oh, four girlfriends from New York University, one of whom I studied abroad in Florence, Italy with, and they were all working for Boutique Matchmaker. And at the time, you know, this was such a foreign concept to me, but they, they approached me, they said, there's a position, you know, within the business for you, would you be interested in this? And I thought, when would I ever have this opportunity? At this point, I was um, 23. So I thought, if I'm never going to take a risk, you know, when, when will I take it? So that was my next job. And it was really unique because I, like any sort of service industry or client facing role, you have to really learn how to adjust yourself with various personalities and mm-hmm. strong personalities who were there for something quite niche, quite specific that they have allocated a significant, you know, sum of money for that could potentially and hopefully would improve and change the course of their life. Whilst I was doing that, I was set up on a blind date with um, what I can say was described as a nice Italian guy who's been working at a bank in London. He's here in New York. It was a friend of a friend. And they said, would you have a, you know, a glass of wine with him? And I thought, oh, no, you know, I, I, I live on the Upper East Side. I don't want to go all the way downtown. <laughs> Most definitely not. But for whatever reason, I did, you know, get a little extra dressed up. I went. And then 13 months later from that blind date, I was living and working here in London and preparing to get married. 
but um, you know, we we plan and God laughs. And I really thought that as a matchmaker, I had wholly embraced a belief in love. And this is why I was so lucky in love because I was, you know, attempting to at least help others. But I moved to London, I'll remember, on January 19th. And Easter that year was at the end of April. And I woke up just absolutely paralyzed with pain, which mm-hmm. was particularly shocking because I had never had a cavity. I had never broken a bone. I used to th- I think maybe I had the flu once. I used to say that it was obvious I had been born under a lucky star. But I had to stop working. I was completely incapacitated in November. I had brain surgery. I had to learn how to walk again and do all sorts of things like vestibular rehab because I lost, you know, focus and control of my retinas. So it's been a bit of a rocky journey on this side of the pond. But once um, things started to stabilize and I knew that I would be okay, even though the operation had failed, I studied nutrition online. And I wasn't able to do it every day or even regularly, but eventually I did finish. So I understood the power of an anti-inflammatory diet. And then reverting back to the art history degree, I understood the attention to detail that was needed to make sure that my body could, you know, do its best to get me back to functioning life. That was fun. And then from there, I thought, my goodness, there are so many people in this day and age, especially women who have chronic diseases, chronic pain. I would like to take everything that I've learned, which has helped me, and I would like to share it with others. So Busy Be Well actually started as a bit of an integrative nutrition page. I was looking to connect with any other women around the world who might have had the the rare disease that I had because there was certainly no one in my immediate sphere or you know, uh, even someone who knew someone who had this. So it started with that saying, you know, has anyone tried this diet? What are the herbs? But what I noticed was that a lot of people who were in constant pain were not living well. They had sort of given up on taking care of themselves or on decorating their homes. And I understood that it was imperative that while I was, you know, resting, while I was recovering on the many, many days and years I needed to stay in bed, that there were little bits and pieces I could do to still remind myself that I was a woman, that I was trying, that I was making an effort for myself. So I had an opportunity with a brand called Code 8 Beauty, which for those who come to London, it's located in the famous Burlington Arcade. And they allowed me to create a shade of lipstick which we sold and 100% of the proceeds went to Beauty Bank's charity. But that lipstick was just sort of to remind women to put their best faces forward, whether they were in bed, in the hospital, or just, you know, stressed and overwhelmed and going through the daily grind. So at one point I was a lipstick designer. And from there, I um, started teaching some anti-inflammatory cooking classes. So I partnered with some local farmers to talk about soil and seasonal and making sure everything was budget friendly as well as nourishing. 
but I uh, was I taught those classes at the Rosewood Hotel, and I had a partnership with the Outnet. So everybody would get dressed up for the events to learn how to cook, to curate the table, not only, you know, well with flowers, but also with things that might be in the wardrobe. So we started a series of really fun, beautiful, stylish, anti-inflammatory cooking classes because often there's a disconnect between, you know, living a healthy lifestyle. They sort of think that it's just Birkenstocks, granolas, <laughs> and no blowouts and actually saying, no, everything should be beautiful. The food you choose, the way you cook it, how you dress, the environment. And that was wonderful. But then, and I promise I'm wrapping this up. No, you're fine. I'm fascinated. Oh, but then lockdowns came. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we had them rather harsh here. They started on March 23rd, which is a great easy date for me to remember as it's my birthday. Oh. So we could no longer have these fun events in person. So I thought to myself, okay, how can I keep everyone connected? But not just keep everyone connected. How can I encourage women to continue to fight inflammation by slowing down, sitting down, and connecting with their heads and hearts. So my great-great-grandfather was English, and he emigrated to New York, where he opened a stationery shop just off of Wall Street. And I have his stamp hanging here in the house. It was called Leech's Stationery Shop on 86 Nassau Street. You can still go and see the painting above the, I think it's a nail salon now, if you must know, but you can (laughs) still see the original sign. And I thought to myself, I'm going to connect with my ancestry, especially my English ancestry. And I want to make sure that the little cottage industry of hand craftsmanship, um, traditional craftsmen who take a copper die and they hand engrave each block and they line each card by hand, that they are able to stay in business because everything was so up in the air. We weren't sure what sort of support or restrictions would happen. And I thought this is good for women to capture life's noteworthy moments, but also to sit down and slow down and connect with themselves while staying connected with those in their hearts while we're distanced. So everything really came together far faster than I thought it would. And so now I have the line of traditional note cards and envelopes. And then I actually launched the place cards in exactly the same quality, made exactly the same way, because I thought, my goodness, we can't go out to eat. We're not having large parties. We need to turn the ordinary into the extraordinary. So whether you're having dinner by yourself and on Zoom to stay connected with someone, or it's just you and your husband or flatmate, make the table a little extra special, you know, remind ourselves that things just because life is not elegant, elegant doesn't mean we shouldn't be. And that's really how I got to busy be well. Oh my gosh. First of all, I am so sorry that you went through that pain. It sounds awful. Um, But I love how you turned it into something good and to help not your, only yourself, but others as well. And I um, have psoriatic arthritis, so I have to do injections every other week. So I know all about inflammation and I've looked into diets that help with that and everything. So, and the way that you were able to 
you know, make people with these sorts of um, illnesses and diseases feel special and fancy and give them something to look forward to with your dinners. Um, I, I love that because I can totally relate and, you know, obviously not to the the total aspect that you had where you were stuck in bed, but, you know, every day I know what that's like to be in a little bit of pain. And, um, you know, some days you don't, you don't feel like getting fancy, but it really does help with the attitude of everything. And then, you know, having that attitude, then it helps you feel better. Most definitely. And, you know, the, well, now I'm 34, that's, that's on social media. So there's no sense of pretending not to be, but also what, what a gift, what a blessing to be 34. A lot of people are not as lucky as we are to be able to age, but everybody has challenges, you know, really and truly as optimistic, as positive, or as faithful as someone might feel they are. The only guarantees in life are tragedies, illness, and stumbling blocks. And usually when it rains, it pours. So it, it's small things. It's a lipstick. It's a place card on the table. It's, you know, having a wonderful dog that we're able to take care of. There are just so many little things that make tremendous differences in the way we're able to bravely and courageously carry on. So well said. So now I want to learn more about Busy Be Well as it is today. So tell me a little bit about the first steps to finding, you know, a manufacturer to make these beautiful stationary pieces for you and um, what that process was like. Were you Googling and kind of researching that way? Were you going door to door? Tell me about, you know, the idea and then actually getting the physical product. Well, I have to say it was probably a little more simpler than um, a lot of the other guests you've had on because this is something, you know, there, there are no factories. I understood that I wanted to do it 200 years later, exactly the same way my great, great grandfather had done. And because I wanted everything to be hand engraved, blind embossed, hand lined envelopes, and I understood that the you know, traditional oldest techniques were the ones I was going to use. That narrowed it down to only two printers in the entire United Kingdom, yeah. one of which decided to close <laughs> during the lockdown. So there was only one. So that made it really easy. And as you can imagine, they were extremely happy to have business going on uh, during these unprecedented times. So what happened was I was able to immediately identify the printer. And I had um, a notepad where I had sketched some of the designs. I knew that I wanted it to embrace, obviously, my English heritage and, you know, living here in, in England. But I knew that it had to be classic with a twist. So the English say cheeky phrases. So I wanted very, very classic uh, traditional designs, but I needed, you know, if I had any phrases or if I had any art, I needed there to be something that sort of was a nod to the fact that I am an American in England. And so much of our preppy, cheeky, sort of Palm Beach, East Coast style. So I wanted to marry all of that together. And yes, so I sort of sketched a few things. I sketched a few phrases. I did my best to run them by my husband or anybody who would <laughs> listen. And then I, I sent them over. As I said, I am not at all artistically inclined, but there is a designer. So the first process is the designer sort of smooths it out. 
Mm -hmm. And once you, you know, agree, you say yes, that actually looks far, far more like an envelope or a heart or a bunny than anything I could have drawn. (laughs) Then you, you approve it. And then someone takes a piece of copper and they hand etch the design into the copper block. Wow, that is so cool. Um, tell everyone listening, obviously I'm familiar with your stationery, but some of the the cute, quirky sayings that you have on them, because I just think they're so fun. Thank you so much. So one is the queen is, is not accepting an audience today. And there's a crown on the top. And I just think that that is so wonderful because one, there are some days where we need to focus on ourselves or we just need little breaks. So it's, it's a little funny when you circle that you are accepting an audience and then you put pen to paper because yes, it's wonderful and someone will smile, but these are phrases such as, you know, too much of a good thing is wonderful, high maintenance, high return. This is not an email. You've got mail. One of the best sellers is actually uh, a pill. <laughs> it's shaped <laughs> like a pill and it says vitamin me. And, and I love that because it's a bit of a vote of confidence that you think that, you know, your note is going to be a vitamin boost to someone's spirit and day, but also it, it's the absolute truth, isn't it? So yes, everything is done in one very traditional font and there are no colors. There's no printing. Everything is just blind embossed and then gold engraved. So you have to really read them to understand the the little quips or the cheekiness as the English say. They are so amazing. I'm obsessed. Now I'm curious about marketing. How have you got the word out and um, marketed your brand and business? Well, I have to say, I believe this is a tremendous opportunity. So thank you again for inviting me to be on the podcast and allowing me to share, you know, showcase and share with a a much more American audience than I usually reach. So really and truly thank you for that, Patricia. Instagram has been a wonderful tool and I have such a love-hate relationship with social media. I really do. And we don't need to go into all of the negatives. Everyone listening, you know, is, is aware of them, but there is an ability to capture your product and share the idea, the inspiration behind it with people around the world. I mean, my my greatest demographic actually is not here in England, which is, you know, what I would expect just with word of mouth or with original purchasers. It, it's actually over in Europe, in France and Italy, where I think that they appreciate the craftsmanship and then, you know, people love American culture as well, or they appreciate it. So Instagram has really allowed me to connect with other people, mostly because I'm quite wordy in my text. So I think that there are a lot of people who were following along from when I was first really sick and bedridden for a few years, and they've sort of seen my journey. And a a lot of them really and truly just want to continue to support that journey. And then they end up loving the products for themselves. But Instagram is is so wonderful. And I have no idea about Google SEO or, you know, how many website visits or hits I'm receiving per day. I just know that, you know, I, I do my very best to share how these are enriching my lives and my, my life and relationships. And uh, people are receiving the message. 
Definitely. Instagram, there's certainly a love-hate relationship. I've met some wonderful friends on there, but it also, obviously, there's many pains to Instagram. (laughs) Certainly how you and I were able to connect years ago, actually. And so whilst we've never met in person, and I don't think we have any, you know, true friends in common, and I am selective with the word friends, I've enjoyed, you know, watching every step of your journey. And I love when you have new clients and you promote their products. And I love when you attend events and seeing how you styled yourself for them and understanding the sort of subtle nuances and the way that you smile and everything is just so, so authentic. And I cannot believe that we have such a relationship and a respect for one another Mm -hmm. just because of an app. Yeah. It's so true. And I hope someday we actually get to meet in person. <laughs> Absolutely. There's no doubt. Absolutely. Um, so I always ask everyone, like, what's been your greatest challenge? Because I think that's so relatable to someone listening who might be in a challenging phase of their business right now. Like, what's the hardest part about having your own business or some of the hurdles you've had to overcome? First and foremost, it's definitely just getting started. Mm-hmm. And everything comes with sacrifice, right? So there will be people who will say, oh, that's so easily replicable, or what is really your difference maker? There are all sorts of business terms, none of which, you know, are on the top of my head or tip of my tongue. But you you have to believe in yourself. People, you know, there will always be, to use an Instagram phrase, there will always be haters and there will always be people who don't quite understand your vision. But if you yourself believe in how you will be positively affecting people's lives, then go for it. I have to say that for the very first collection, there was ab- there was no budget, there was no marketing plan, there was nothing other than I just want to have these created, printed, and I want to have them in my life. Now, I wish someone would have told me that when you are a singular person and you need to go through thousands of note cards to make sure there's no gold ink splattered here or there, that quality control will be time consuming. But at least for the first few years, as you were able to, you you need to do so because it is your own business. So it is your name, your reputation behind everything. Mm -hmm. I, uh, one hurdle definitely was packaging. And there are a lot of options for that. Um, If anybody is looking for packaging for their product, I I would definitely say Google is the very, very best. You know, you can take a, a, a competitor or just anyone's packaging, bags, boxes, ribbons that you like, and search for it on Google and see you know, who, who they recommend or identify. So that's something that definitely can be found online easily. Um, I think we should share with everyone, I, I shared with Patricia before we started chatting with you all, that last night I thought, oh my goodness, Patricia has invited me to be on her podcast. I have been listening along to all of the other, you know, business women and their successes. And yes, of course, they've shared setbacks. But it turns out that uh, stationery, especially when you want everything to be of a certain quality, and I won't bore you with how we measure paper thickness or anything like that. But when you want everything to be uh, of the best quality and you want it to be produced a certain way, that means that there are... 
not quite the same demand for suppliers and manufacturers as there was, let's say, 200 years ago. So for the five colors of envelope liners that I use, uh, there's only one company in the entire world who produces them. And you can look at the other three competitors, but the hues are so specific. And I really do feel as if they're integral uh, to, to my brand identity. And yesterday we were getting ready to go to print and you cannot take anything for granted. Everything in the entire world is interconnected. It's a delicate ecosystem. And we found out that the company has gone out of business. And one of the colors, actually my gorgeous blue color, Azure, is no longer available. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm getting ready to chat with Patricia. I have people who are waiting for their next orders. And I'm going to have to text her and say, there's no longer a busy be well. It doesn't find someone else for the podcast. (laughs) So that was a very recent hurdle in fact Mm -hmm. in until about 11 o'clock this morning English time so it's only the last two hours and 40 minutes I've exhaled and been confident that at least for the next few years I'll have stationery to sell (laughs) (laughs) thank you for sharing that story and being honest I feel like it's super relatable people deal with you know manufacturers closing or um they print all of their fabrics and then realize, oh my gosh, something went wrong. There's a bleed that's wrong or a shade wrong. So that's something we all can relate to. We've all had hiccups like that. I was, uh, as we discussed before the podcast, I'm such a fan of Oh My Mahjong. And with her playing mats, she wrote instructions on them. And I was going to just add that one of the very many things that is entirely within our control as business owners and business women is to share specifically how these products enrich our lives. So what I do is when a shop or when someone places a large order, I send them over a presentation that I've created entitled The Art of the Handwritten Note. Because it's a bit like, you know, when a brand uh, that's in a multi-vendor store goes and they say, you know, these are our new products, this is the design process, this is how to sell it to people. If you have some sort of a download or some sort of an extra that comes along with the purchase where, you know, in, in my instance, I say, you know what, these are some great exercises for calligraphy. You don't have to become a master calligrapher, but if you master a couple of letters, addressing the envelope will look like a work of art. Or the first letter of the name on the place card will also be super special. Or just, you know, not just the correct protocol and procedure for how to use your product, but fun little ways that are unexpected uses of the product. I think that that goes a long way in terms of marketing as well. I love that. That is so such a good tip. Now, on the opposite of the hurdles, I'm curious what's been a pinch me moment, something that was really exciting in regards to business, um, something you're really proud of. I am extremely proud, although there was a lot of work behind it, so I'm careful with that word as well 
the most beautiful shop, Patricia, my goodness, you will just feel as if you're in heaven. There is a wonderful shop in Belgravia. So for those who are not completely familiar with London, that is just right, right behind Harrods. So people are ready to shop lots of, you know, white buildings and traditional red brick. There's a shop called Bonadea, which um, has all of my favorite housewares brands. So they have Heron and Anna Weatherly, and they are the UK exclusive for Erin's frames and her home products. And just so many, you know, handmade, traditional, traditional tablescapes, tablewares, homeware lines. And when she said, Emily, let's have Busy Bee Well, in the shop, that was such a pinch me moment. Wow. Not just because you know it was my first retail point of sale, but to be in good company, as they say, to be surrounded by a lot of heritage brands, um, where craftsmanship is, you know, what what sets them apart. Design, craftsmanship, everything. I thought, oh my gosh, even if the stock gets delivered and just dumped in the center of the floor, it will look like some sort of contemporary art exhibition. <laughs> you know, however, however it's displayed, however it's sold, it's going to be such a booster and a drive for business. Um, not only has it been a drive for business, as I've had my first two magazine features after the shop took it on board. But it was a big confidence booster. You know, that was one of the reasons why this morning when I did discover one small shop that had the paper for the envelope linings, I was confident with, uh, you know, purchasing their entire remaining inventory instead of my usual increments. Mm -hmm. Wow, that store sounds fabulous. And congratulations for getting your line into it. How awesome is that? Thank you. Now I'm coming for the U.S. So Patricia, I'll need you to launch me in America. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> so who would be a dream customer for you? Who would you love to have your stationery and, and write their correspondence on? It would be absolutely wonderful if Erin Lauder discovered us. I think that she is she is absolutely flawless in her style. She takes no missteps. She's always elegant. Anytime she's here in London, I sort of see her, you know, flocked by fans, let's say. She never rushes everyone. She's so graceful. So if she were to put pen to Busy Be Well paper, that would be just fantastic. That is a great answer. I, I love her style. It's so classic. And her products are wonderful too. So your stationery next to her pieces is just amazing. It's definitely a pinch me moment as you coined. <laughs> yes. Now, I always ask everyone, of course, since this is the Preppy Podcast, what does Preppy mean to you? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that. Um, I think that preppy means there's a little bit of pep and happiness in everything, the way that you live your life. Preppy in terms of the shades of lipstick that you choose, the volume and bounce that you attempt to add to your hair. Uh, it's probably, I would say, classic with a twist. Yes, that's what preppy means. It means embracing, you know, traditional craftsmanship and design and quality, just Yes, a, a traditional base that then you you put your own little preppy twist on, whether that's, you know, taking a, a, a lovely coffee table and 
lacquering it bright pink because that's your happy color. Just little pops of joy. Oh, I love that. Little May I ask how you would define it for everyone who might listen to, you know, here in England? Oh, I would say, yeah, certainly classic with a twist. And I think it's a lifestyle is really what I always say, because there's so many interpretations of it. I feel like there's a Northeast, like very preppy um, prep school, like what you think of where it originated. But then there's, of course, Palm Beach preppy that's colorful and you're wearing florals and mixing patterns. But I also think in California, you can be preppy as well. And it's just it's more um neutral tones and maybe you're wearing sailor stripes. So it's really, it's a lifestyle and a state of mind. And I think it depends um, where you live and how you interpret it. Absolutely. And then of course, you know, understanding what elements of preppy are integral to your confidence and living well, you know, however you define it. And then bringing that to wherever you might move or live or the circles, you know, with, with which you socialize, it's defining it for yourself, exactly as you said, a state of mind, adding your own little, you know, bits of joy and style and, and moving with that in all that you do. Definitely. I That was such a, a great answer and so fun um, that you asked me how I interpret it. I feel like no one's ever done that. Oh my goodness. It, you are the preppy podcast. I'm <laughs> most curious as to what it means to you because of course we all have... Um, Oh, how would you say we've we've all been edited by you? You know, we are all part of your curation on the Preppy Podcast. So it's nice to understand the commonalities amongst all of the great business women that you're interviewing and launching. Certainly. Now, I'm curious, you know, you travel to some fabulous places and obviously live in beautiful London. What's your favorite vacation destination, though? Oh my goodness. Well, I am an absolute sucker for Palm Beach, which is definitely preppy. I was there earlier in the year and uh, my husband, whom we affectionately call Mr. B, we will be back there in November if anyone wants to hang out or grab dinner. I think Palm Beach is wonderful because it is so safe. It is so edited. Now, obviously, of course, post lockdowns, it is an ultimate hot spot. Mm -hmm. But what I love is that there's such a curation of design and style there. And of course, the sun seems to always be shining, which is wonderful. Our absolute favorite holiday destination, Uh, perhaps I should not let the cat out of the bag, but (laughs) we are booked for the next few years, is a little hotel in Tuscany um, called Il Pelicano. And it is just wonderful. You know, we keep in touch with all the members of the staff. I think my husband and the gentleman bartender must converse absolutely regularly. And they're all counting down until, you know, the special welcome cocktails or, or this and that. Um, I ha- Yes, so I have a really fond, warm spot in my heart for Tuscany. In fact, the idea is in many, many decades from now, uh, Mr. B and I would love to retire in Florence. Mm. It's such a livable city, and it's just so beautiful all of the time. My dream trip is to Japan, but I understand that takes, you know, a lot of planning if you really want to do that well. So we haven't done that. And then 
I, I have to say, you know, we're so spoiled here in London. It's easy to get absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. So France, you know, is like a two and a half hour train ride for us. <laughs> So, you know, if you come, Patricia, we can even leave in the morning and just have a nice Parisian lunch, hit a few shops and return back to London intraday. Yes, please. Sign me up. (laughs) So, yes, Italy is wonderful. All parts of it. The South, Puglia is incredible. Although, you know, you must bring a couple of... um, let's say generous tops and dresses because you will just eat your way through Puglia. Tuscany, everything is divine there. And of course we're big, we're big fans of America. So Palm Beach is quite special to us. We go often. I still have my apartment and my parents are in New York. So we go back several times a day. But I was, as I mentioned, I was born in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and I know that one of the lovely um, ladies that you had on the podcast said that she was dissuaded from having the word Southern in her business name, but it's been a difference maker and really has um, helped her well-define her brand. Mm-hmm. And so my my parents also were quite lucky, have a home in North Carolina, and it is so nice to get back there and connect with our Southern roots and all of the food and just nice, fresh air and friendly people. So yes, go USA, but also go rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all fabulous places. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I wasn't expecting that question. I might've, you know, put together some notes to speak a bit more eloquently or definitively, but you can DM me if you need holiday suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> Great recommendations there. Um, what about, what's your favorite piece of yours right now? I'm sure, you know, it's hard to pick because you love everything, but right now, which, which piece is your favorite that you'd recommend um, someone listening get for their first piece of Buzzy Be Well? Well, I'm going to say two. So my my most special design, the phrase is, you're no bunny until mm-hmm. some bunny loves you. And, you know, because lockdowns came at the end of March and I was trying to make sure that all of the neighbors, that everyone might have uh, what they needed to still celebrate Easter, because I believed in the Easter Bunny far longer than I did Santa Claus, (laughs) which probably should be, you know, like analyzed whilst lying on a sofa Freudian style. (laughs) So my favorite design is you're no bunny until somebody loves you. And the design at the top are two golden bunnies facing one another. And the reason I linked this to Easter and and preparing for that is my mom made me a birthday cake when I was younger and the decor at the top were two gold foil lent bunnies facing one another. So this is sort of my, you know, nod to that. And then of course, you know, being here in Europe, lent is readily available. So yes, so that is my number one favorite for just expressing love or what I like Mm -hmm. to say, leaving a bunny note for somebody. And I have a new design, which thankfully has gone to print within the last few minutes now that we have envelope linings. And it is my my dog Georgina is a Yorkshire Terrier. And she is just divine, as everyone who has a dog knows their dog is. But her number one enemy is the Royal Mail. She is such a lover. She's so respectful and so well-mannered. 
But as soon as the mailman's trolley hits the end of our road, she just becomes an attack dog. And when the post comes through the letter slot, she, I mean, you you really have to be there to capture it or else she might tear it to shreds. So there's a new design currently being made and it is a cute little Yorkie with an envelope in her face or in her mouth rather. Um, and the text is special delivery. So I hope that will bring a smile and some warmth to the hearts of all dog lovers. Oh, I love that. It's same with our dogs too. Whenever they hear the UPS man, the USPS man, whoever it is, they always go wild, bark, climb on the sofa to try to get a view. Like it's crazy. (laughs) And it's almost embarrassing. I have to say, because you're so lovely. You're a really wonderful, respectful, responsible dog owner, which is how it ought to be. So I'm sure when you walk and you see, you know, the these wonderful service people, your dogs are so friendly to them and they accept a cuddle or they just look up lovingly or, Mm -hmm. you know, at worst or neutral. And Georgina loves our mailman. When we see him, you know, as we're walking to the park, she like lifts her legs so that he can really cuddle her heart or her tongue. But when he's on duty with that mail trolley on our road, that's it. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) What a fun new design though. That's, I can't wait to see that one. So speaking of that, like what's next? Any other sneak peeks, anything you're working on? Yes, indeed. I'm very glad that you asked. So sort of, uh, I mean, absolutely everything is connected. So looping back to the idea of just because life is not elegant doesn't mean we should not be and understanding how important our homes are to us. You know, they, they really are our, our home base. They are the foundation of how we live our lives or go out into the world. So if we don't have a home that's decorated or um, looks as we would like it to look, then it, it's quite difficult to believe in beauty, create beauty, and see beauty outside as well as in ourselves. So I have been studying interior design when, um, you know, in, in the free moments that I have here and there, but I also understood that I wanted the formal training, as we said, every day is a school day when I decorated and we renovated our home here in London. So I have two, the first two back, but I am using uh, all the designer fabrics and patterns that we love for our own interiors. And I have a line of dog beds launching and they will launch just before Christmas. But if you look at my Instagram stories, you do see Georgina testing them. And there, there were two sort of reasons behind the dog beds, aside from the fact that I am admittedly a crazy dog lady. One is that I wasn't quite confident in the, um, in the quality of the dog beds. I mean, you often just go to Home Goods or TJ Maxx and you grab one that you think like, oh yeah, that looks good. But how how is it for, you know, our dog's little spines and how, you know, soon will we need to get rid of it or how does it hold up in the wash? So England is really known as being a, a manufacturer, especially up north. So I found, uh, <laughs> this, this is a different podcast, but I found a really wonderful cushion maker and uh, they do a lot of the foam for sofas and furniture. So we designed a dog bed. 
So the dog bed, you know, it doesn't flop, it doesn't lean over, it actually comes with quite a warranty. And so we put this all together and we first wrapped it in a wholly waterproof material because you want it to last a long time and dogs are dogs. And then I um, engaged a local tailor and we began taking all of the Scalamandre or Colfax and Fowler fabrics and I started purchasing remnants in one meter, three meter sizes. So it's a bit upcycling. So I really believe I've created the best in class dog bed itself. And now we're making sure that they have cases that fit with your home in your, you know, interiors and the aesthetic that you've curated for yourself. So that, you know, if you are taking photos or you are recording an Instagram video, it's not, you know, a, a bit of an eyesore that you need to move out of the room or move away when you have a dinner party. I wanted it to be something that fit harmoniously within your own design. But then I thought about myself as, you know, a single girl on the Upper East Side in my little studio apartment and all of the furniture, you know, which I purchased obviously at a discount or maybe not from, you know, ultra posh designer, just whatever fit within the budget. And I thought to myself, okay, I knew what Scalamandre was. I knew what Schumacher was. I, uh, you know, obviously really, really loved interiors, but there was not the budget at 21. I mean, I was working full time at David Uriman, babysitting for whomever would hire me afterwards. And, <laughs> and that was the way it was. And I just thought, you know, how, how many of us have our little dogs? And wouldn't it be nice if actually the dog bed was the centerpiece of our home? So we might have, you know, Ikea furniture that we have home hacked or painted or, you know, put peel and stick wallpaper around to elevate it. Wouldn't it be nice if whatever fabric was the most special or colors or design, we shared that with our dogs. And then, you know, as we progress in our lives and, and businesses and professions, you can sort of use that almost as the springboard for the rest of your interiors. Yeah. So I want I... something beautiful, but also something lasting. And then I wanted to make sure that, you know, a lot of these fabrics I learned during our design and renovation, you order excess. So I wanted it to be upcycled as well. So sort of ticking all of the boxes. Wow. I cannot wait to see these dog beds. Marty and Miles definitely are going to need one. Um, they sound so fabulous. And I love the amount of research you've done to make sure that, you know, they're comfortable for the dogs, but they look aesthetically pleasing in your home. Um, so I'm super excited about this launch for you. And I, I really have to say, going back to another question you asked, um, the, the hardest part is understanding how you are different from your quote unquote competitors, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I'm certainly not the only person producing stationery. I most definitely am not the only person producing dog beds, but I have the idea that if you're going to do something, especially in a saturated market, you have to do it as you know well as is possible. You have to make sure that it's not just a dog bed that's beautiful, but there's a compelling reason as to why it is best in class, you know, it, is it, you know, the orthopedic health of your dog? Is it, you know, how long it lasts, its durability, the structure, whatever it is, you really do need to say, if I'm going to do something, 
that does that already exist. It has to be the best. And it's better to start out with one product to sell or one piece to sell rather, and then reinvesting that profit into two and building slowly but surely. That's great advice. Now, my final question is, where can people find you? I want everyone listening to be able to go online and shop your beautiful stationery and follow along with you on social media. Thank you so much, really and truly, for the opportunity. And also just for our Instagram friendship and support of one another the last few years. It really, I just can't believe we live an ocean apart. Um, But I am one account only, busy, be well, B-U-S-Y. B-E-E and well, because I really aim for everything I post. I don't post once a day or twice a day, but when I post, I hope that, you know, it's meaningful, it's measured, you know, that it comes from my heart and uh, it's a reflection of the little things that I do in order to live well myself. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Emily. This was a pleasure talking with you. And I feel like I know you even more beyond our Instagram friendship now. And I can't wait to someday meet you in person. Thank you very, very much again. And uh, just let me know how, how else we can all continue to connect and support one another. And I'll keep you abreast from here. And uh, please feel free to pop over and visit anytime. We're waiting for you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media.